G'day, I'm Osher Ginsberg. And I'm Charlie Clawson. We are two dads who, when we found out we were going to be dads, went looking for a podcast that could help us navigate what it means to be a dad in the modern world. I mean, there were parenting podcasts, but they all seemed to be aimed at mums, or at the very least, mums and dads. Yeah, there were no podcasts for dads specifically, and certainly not dads who want to be hands-on and do their share of raising their children. So, we started Dad Pod, a podcast by dads, for dads who don't want to be shit dads. <laughs> Each week, we share our own stories from the good and the bad to the thermonuclear tantrums, as well as talk with some of the biggest experts in the field to help all of us become better dads. So if you're a dad, a mum dad, or a dad-to-be, search Dad Pod where you get your podcasts. This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated MA for mature audiences. It may contain sexual references, time travel references, allegations of bin misconduct, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that this episode is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who thinks a comedy conversation between two old mates sounds like a terrible idea for a show. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is TOEFOP 385. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello and thank you for watching. Is it 385? No, yes, no. <laughs> was how Michael introduced it. Podcast Mike doing his little introduction. Had a crisis of confidence like a jittery Australian opening batsman trying to call for a quick single yeah. and not knowing whether he could make it or not. It was like, yes, no, yes, yes. Yes, no, wait. Yes, no, wait. <laughs> Well, it's funny. You, that's a perfect analogy because as he said throughout five, I'm like, fuck, I feel like we've been stuck in the 80s for ages. Like, mm. I, I, I feel like we've, we just have not climbed to 400. It just doesn't feel like we're ever going to get there. Well, we did have a couple of weeks off. so Yeah, I know, but it even feels longer than that. I feel like we've just been- We were really batting for lunch. Let's extend <laughs> the cricket metaphor, right? Like yeah. there was a couple of overs to lunch. We've just like, we've shut it all down. We're just saving our wickets to lunch. And of course- for those who don't know, in Australian cricket, 87 being the devil's number, like people, it's 13 away from 100. And traditionally in Australian cricket, 87's been our unlucky number. So we're two episodes away from the unluckiest TOEFOP. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would the. Uh, we've had some bad luck in the run of this show. I mean, mm. many a lost episode. Uh, you know, like uh, news agents having their mm. fax machines blow up. Like, there's been some unfortunate events. Like, what? What do you think would be the end game? Like, if we finish at three eight seven, what is the straw that breaks the camel's back? Russell Crowe slaps us with a cease and desist. If only we've been <laughs> praying for the day. The only way these podcasts can ever stop is if Russell Crowe gets involved with the body cease and desist. What do we need to do, Russell? We've got to prod the bear a bit harder. I think because now it's the, the soft. He was in the news this week, Russell Crowe. What was Russell Crowe in the news for this week? Do you know? No. Okay. I think he was back to his old sort of, oh, here we go. Um, all right. So this is from uh, two days ago uh, from the Herald Sun. So I'm going to have to open up a, I'm going to have to log into a page to read this. Let's so this is not the, this. The, the cuddly, funny Rusty that we've all come to know and love. The, I haven't seen the new Thor, but apparently he does a spot on Con the Fruiterer playing Zeus in the new Thor film. 
<laughs> Thor, you will have your hammer in a couple of days. <laughs> Hello, Beautiful. gentlemen. How are you today? <laughs> <laughs> this is Lady Thor. Her name is Marika. <laughs> I mean, it was racist when it was the 80s. It's definitely racist now. <laughs> uh, Twitter has erupted in fury. All yeah, right. Okay. I mean, that's All a, right. Well, that's hardly a headline. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter has erupted in fury after Russell Crowe apparently oh yes okay great this is fantastic right. um, Russell Crowe has thumbed his nose at a protocol what protocol Charlie has Russell Crowe thumbed his nose at like is it mask wearing is it a mask refuse to wear a mask on a plane or something he, he did not refuse to do something. He did something that is ordinarily forbidden at this place. But Russell Crowe said, the fucking rules don't apply, apply to Condesucera. <laughs> Condesucera. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, we, we see Ada, like, because I know I've been, he's been posting a bunch of pics lately. I have been seeing yes. that on Twitter. He's like, hey, where am I now? Where am I now? And it's like, what is Okay, this? so this has to do with pics that he's posted. Yes, okay. he's posted so, pics from a place where these pics are, are not meant to be posted. Okay, right. So it has to be a place where it's like there's a there's this long-standing tradition where you don't blah 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 blah. So um, yeah, correct. Is it famous? Would I know it off the top of my head, or is it kind of niche? Absolutely famous. Like okay. it's it's could not be more famous. Okay, you don't take a photo of. Is it okay? Am I in the ballpark? He took a photo of something you don't take a photo of, or he did, correct? Okay, he took a photo. Um, he took a photo of someone's butthole. <laughs> Think the Pope's butthole. <laughs> no, no, no. Have you been on the internet? It's mostly butthole photos. That is. <laughs> he kicked the Pope's door into the Vatican and took a photo of his butthole. Okay. You, you absolutely okay. in the right oh, space. He's in, so so he's in the Vatican? He's Vatican currently uh, in Rome. Mm. He's filming a, a movie called The Pope's Exorcist. Oh. And he went to a famous, yes, landmark right. and took a photo. Okay, the Colosseum? Not the Colosseum. You can take photos of the Colosseum. It is mostly outdoors. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, like in some, oh, okay, is there like a tomb or something? I mean, think about, don't go too far away from the Pope and the way that you were raised, right, okay. Charlie. Okay, so the church, there's like a church or a cathedral or a chapel. Mm -hmm. A Did chapel. You, okay, uh, so... Um, the to Sistine go back to Australian chapel. cricket, it was a chapel. chapel, but it wasn't Greg Chapel, it wasn't Ian Chapel, and it wasn't Trevor Chapel. It was indeed the Sistine Chapel. So he took what, photos inside the Sistine Chapel. You're not meant to do that? No. Oh, okay. I did not know that was a long-standing tradition. I, like Russell Crowe, I also would have thumbed my nose <laughs> at these stuffy protocols. These these eye ties, mate, telling me in Aussie what I can me, and can't do when I'm on holiday. Me, a legitimate Italian. Yeah. On the fruiter, yeah. and you're like, hang on, I think he was Greek. Like, Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Same thing. Same thing. Uh, the 58-year-old gladiator star who is currently filming The Pope's Exorcist in Rome revealed he'd taken a private tour of the sacred site in a Twitter post that included several photos. Photography inside the chapel is forbidden to prevent camera flashes from damaging oh, the yeah. stunning artwork. But did he use a flash? If you don't use a flash, is it cool? I'm not sure there's a more special privilege. Is, is Russell that your Crow, Russell Crowe or Christian Bale? Is that Christian Bale's Batman with thumbs his nose? 
<laughs> no, mate, you're putting too much gravel into it. It's more just 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 like just just slow things down and just do it yeah. real laconic. Yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah. Russell Crowe. Okay, I'm Russell Crowe. So, a very <laughs> what? Why is your accent changing? You just don't keep know. it the same, just slower and deeper. I'm. <laughs> you mean my accent, but just slower and deeper. Yeah. What basically every ABC viewer has been writing to us for for the last 15 years. <laughs> Could you just slow down and speak at a normal tone for a man? Stop shrieking. Uh, I'm not sure there's a more special – I'm not sure there's a more special privilege in the world than to hold the key for the Sistine Chapel and to experience its glory in silence, Crow tweeted. In another post, he wrote, a very special experience as a family yesterday. Got to walk through the Vatican Museum by ourselves. Amazing. <laughs> I thought My- what you were going to say was, I've, uh, go, it's, uh, there's no one greater than getting the case of Sistine Chapel and experiencing its glory whole. <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, come on. I imagine there is one, right? (laughs) The most glorious glory hole of all is the one at the Sistine Chapel. Hey, there's only one hole that's holy. It's this one. You know what? And they actually have it. Michelangelo has his finger pointing towards the hole. (laughs) <laughs> that's what he was working on. The that's what the two fingers hole. are pointing towards. If you'd zoom in on that, you'd just see there's a little hole that the Pope crawls there. up into the ceiling. <laughs> he just lowers his tackle through and he doesn't mind if it's a guy, it's a girl, who cares, you know? Just, yeah, you know, it's all good in the hood. <laughs> Any hole's a goal, that's what I say. That's what the Pope says. <laughs> there's no photos in the chapel, guys. <laughs> <laughs> no photos in the chapel. <laughs> We're off to a good start. How long have we been running for? Like less Sorry. than 10 minutes. <laughs> Glory holes uh, in the Sistine Chapel. Uh, Russell, Russell's, um, Russell continues. Okay. My mum walked these corridors with my father 20 plus years ago with the thousands of tourists that flock here daily and make it the third most popular museum globally. That feels that, like that the PR feels like person has been. That's like the, the the power hierarchy in the DC universe is about to change. That's definitely like a talking point. <laughs> They've made it the third most popular museum globally with the leading gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> and prices that can't be beat. <laughs> uh, we were given access to rooms, perspectives, and parts of the collection you don't get to see as a regular tourist. Yeah, the glorious hole. <laughs> as we squeezed, <laughs> as we squeezed into a tiny private elevator and ascended. <laughs> I mean, and ascended to a balcony few get to see. She squeezed my hand and said, I wish your father was here. Rather than you, Russell. (laughs) We stepped onto the balcony, a majestic, sweeping view of Rome. From somewhere in the Vatican, we could hear the Swiss Guard band rehearsing. Okay, look, here's what I'm going to say. This is a pretty big humble brag, Russell Crowe. (laughs) Like, we haven't got to, like, Twitter being that unimpressed at this point, but I've got to be honest with you, it's – 
Like post a couple of photos, but don't keep banging on about it, right? Do you think that there is any figure in the world like Rusty strikes me as the kind of guy who would be nonplussed at meeting the Pope. Like do you think Rusty takes a backward step with anyone, like world leaders, whatever? Like he, to me, he feels like he's in proper company. Yeah, like, you know, it's the uh, the highest the highest position in the Catholic Church, one of the biggest religions in the world. And it's like, yeah, give me the keys. I'm going to go for a wander. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to take some photos. Um, all right. So uh, these this is Twitter, the Twitter outrage, okay. by the way, which is not outrage at all. These are the tweets they've chosen from all of Twitter to show that people were outraged by this. I was there last month, but it was so packed and strictly no photos allowed. I suppose we're not all gladiators, one user wrote. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this makes a pretty straightforward point. Yeah. <laughs> you can take photos where the rest of us mere mortals aren't allowed, tweeted another. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's what happens. <laughs> That's the way the world works. <laughs> another added, so the church gives privileges to the rich and famous people while the plebs have to queue and swelter in the heat. Never mind taking photos. I mean, that's more a, like, to be honest, a criticism of the church than it yeah. is of Russell Crowe, right? Yeah, it, it actually makes a good point. Like, isn't it harder for a rich person to enter heaven than a yeah. uh, than a camel to go through the eye of a needle or something like that? Uh, so that's it. That's the entirety of the Twitter. The <laughs> like. And he thumbed his nose. (laughs) He thumbed his nose at them. I mean. Um, Here we go. Uh, Crow plays a priest battling demons in the supernatural thrill of the Pope's Exorcist, which is based on uh, memoirs of Father Gabriel Amorth, a real-life figure who was based at the Vatican Mm. and believed to have performed 60,000 exorcisms. What? Yeah. 60,000. Oh, 60, this, this is where we need Adam Spencer. So how many exorcisms do you think you can perform in a year? Let's just say, well, let's just say conservatively one a week. Well, let, no, let's say you were doing one a day. Like, and, no. But you take like 65 days off, right? Let's just – because let's make the math easy is basically okay. what I'm saying here. Okay, so yeah. like let's say you can do one a day, 300, so 300 days of the year, right? Yeah. So two years gets you to 600 and then 10 times that – Gets you to six thousand, and then ten times that gets you to sixty thousand. Fuck, that's a, like a, it's a lot of exorcisms. And I don't think that I think you <laughs> like, are being very, very optimistic, saying like he like one and done. And it's not like a, it's not like you're going to see like a chiropractor or something. Like you got to get a demon out. Like it's a whole process. You've got to sort of do that little dance with the with the demon. You've got to work out which demon it is. You've got to try different techniques and stuff. Like I think I've told this story before, but. I we knew a priest growing up that had performed exorcisms, and I mm. he had, had like he used to. I remember he came around for dinner a few times. He was a very like nervy priest, and someone said, "Oh, yeah, he had a, like a nervous breakdown after one of these exorcisms. Like he'd been in Africa or something, probably tormenting some poor mentally ill person, like trying to get a, a spirit out of them. But that was like weeks long. That was that was not like a one and done." Adam Spencer will probably message us because he messages us after every podcast, <laughs> but he will probably message us on the maths because I haven't had time to do it properly in my head. But I think it's about a, if you did one a day, 300 odd, like if you did, if you worked every day yeah, and you did one exorcism a day and you think that's too many, but that's mm. still going to take you easily plus 150 years, I think 160 or 170 years it would take you if you're doing one a day so that means on his lifespan 
He's got to have been doing three exorcisms a day. Basically. I was going to say, is he like one of those chess masters who just has mm. like he has seven oh, yeah. possessed all people going. lined he, up he, in he, front he, like, of him, and he just goes on random beds, strapped yeah. down to the bed, and he yeah. just goes around and just like, exercising, <laughs> just yeah. flicking holy water, demon leave, of the cross. demon leave, <laughs> yeah, yeah, demon leave. The power of Christ compels you, compels you, compels you. Blah 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 blah. Well, you, you said the chi- you said the chiropractor thing. I've yeah. been to like a chiropractor or a physio, where often what they will do is they will come in for the adjustment at the end, the assessment at the start, and the adjustment at the end. But the there's a masseuse or whatever that tags in for forty minutes in yeah. the middle, who's just really basically working your body, and the chiropractor's going around to the other rooms, like you know, getting through a few appointments at once. So yeah. I think this is. If he's doing three a day, yeah, like, and this is on average, three a day every day. So that means there's got to have been days when there was more than three a day. Yeah. So, the, yeah, I, I mean, he's got to have he, more. Like, do you, do you think he franchised it? Like Jim's mowing. Uh, what What's the priest's name? What was his um, name? Oh, hang on, I'm gonna have to look. Pablo was he? Pablo's exorcisms. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a van rolls rolling around Italy, just with his face his face on the side. Need no, Gabriel. Oh, Gabriel's exorcisms. Yep. Gabby's exorcisms. It's just a franchise. You just just license it. So it's not actually him. But I think he's claiming that it was him. He's claiming Wilt Chamberlain style, you know, when he said he'd slept with 10,000 people or whatever. This is him saying, I exorcised 60,000. Is is there a room at the Vatican? Like, was he just, when people were coming to town, like – were they just coming in going, yeah, I've got a few demons, and he would come in and give a little mini exor- exorcism? Well, I guess those, like, preachers, when you see those kind mm. of evangelical, they, they're doing, like, whole churches, right? Like, they'll get, yeah. like, 20 people up there, and they'll be like, demon out, mm. demon out. Like, maybe he's just doing that. Because if he, he really is, like, the number one mm. exorcism dude, then he can probably sell out a stadium. Like, he's not doing your, he's not doing your Rudy Hill RSL <laughs> exorcism. I know, but... How's crowd security if your audience is full of possessed, possessed. people? <laughs> That's really I mean, it's a tough gig up to the exorcism. I imagine that after that, and I look, I imagine they're there with friends and family. It's not like you've got an entire room full of people, you know, possessed by demons. But let's just say there's a hundred in the room and you've got like at least two family members, I'd say like maybe three or four to like, you know, hold them down. They're possessed by a demon, right? So out of the hundred, you've still got like 10, 20 people possessed by a demon in your audience every night. That is messy. What would it take for you to be convinced? Like, like would it for someone that is possessed by a demon, would it have to be something like supernatural, like they levitate, their head spins around? Or do you think like if there was an extremity of behavior could be enough that makes you go, this is beyond mental illness. This is clearly something that I can't explain going on? Or would you need the supernatural element? Yeah, definitely would need the supernatural. And even then I'd be sceptical. <laughs> like, <laughs> the head did a 360, Will. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what more mm. evidence do you need? I don't know. It seemed to my like eyes and perception that the head just did a 360, but – like, am I hallucinating? Like, is there something going on with me in this? Like, that that would be my process. I'd be like, right. I need to see the head go around again, just to be sure. <laughs> like, I think I've seen it go around once, but it's got to do a victory lap for me to be fully convinced. So 60,000, that he must retire like mm. – he's the Don Bradman of exorcists, mm. right? Like, he would have the best average yeah. and, the highest, and the highest run count. 
I can't imagine there's someone who's done more than 60,000 exorcisms. Well, I'm sure there's someone who's done like unlicensed. There's probably some back room. This is why you can't ban exorcisms, Will, because you don't actually ban exorcisms. Right. You just make them more dangerous. Backyard exorcisms. (laughs) (laughs) Alleyway exorcisms. (laughs) You just see all these people going around. You're driving them, all these poor possessed people driving them to go underground to get their exorcisms. Uh, Most exorcisms ever. Okay. Um, All right. Let's see what we can find out about exorcisms. Um, So uh, let's see if this helps. Um, No, no, no. no, no, There doesn't seem to be any other reference to someone having done. I'm pretty sure. So I'm going to say I'm going to say he's a clubhouse leader. Right. Okay. Um, also, he was that- working. At the, he was working at the Vatican, right? Like, so he's their guy. Like, I mean, yeah. he's got the inside. Even if he wasn't the best exorcist in the world, he works for the place that is going to be sending out the exorcist, right? Can he's you, their company man. Can you Google this guy? Does he have a Wikipedia page? No, oh, yeah, I'm sure that he does. Because I, I, because from my understanding is like the Catholic Church has distanced itself for a long time from like exorcisms. They don't even have like any active exorcist going anymore so this sounds like great marketing material for a hollywood film but i would be interested to know if this dude is actually legit or i mean citation needed is what i'm saying okay well let's let's see if uh wikipedia can provide us the answers that we need to know uh gabrielle amorth oh my god (laughs) what i'm gonna see if i can drop in to this, and this might be beyond my. Just send me the link. You can't drop the photo in, but if you drop oh, the, I link, can't? the link, okay. In. You just go to just Wikipedia. Cut and paste the link. All right. Go to Wikipedia of uh, Gabriel Amorth uh, and have a look at the photo of him there because he looks like a guy who was not capable of exercising his own demons. He looks very much like when Darth Vader took his helmet off. Is basically what he looks like, I will say. How do you spell a morph? A-M-O-R-T-H. T-H, okay. Gabriel Amorth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, less time exorcising and more time exercising is what I'm saying, Gabriel. In your faith, Amorth. He really Like, he does look that, – that is the perfect description. He looks like Darth Vader from the original yeah. trilogy when he takes the helmet <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> look at look at those jowls. He, he looks part man, part hound dog. <laughs> I mean, like maybe it takes a lot out of you to suck demons out of people. Yeah, so, you think he's physically sucking the dog with those cheeks <laughs> through 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 the glorious hole? That's what how he does it. He says you're gonna have to get up here on the roof. Uh, he's got he's got cheeks like bellows. My goodness, that could suck okay. and blow. <laughs> I'm going to read you a little bit about Gabriella yep. Morse. He is oh. no longer with us, unfortunately. Died. 16th of September 2016, so did not, unfortunately, get to see the Bulldogs win their breakthrough premiership in the (laughs) AFL, which I know very much. Did not get to see the Bulldogs exercise our demons. Uh, Was an Italian Catholic priest and exorcist of the Diocese of Rome who performed, they say, tens of thousands of exorcisms over his 60-plus years as a priest. Okay, so basically 60 years as a priest, 10,000 a year is what we're looking at. That's still a lot. Man, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, when you put it like that, I feel like any maths I was trying to do earlier was way out. <laughs> Podcast Mike, can you just divide um, 10,000 by 300 and then we can work out how many he's doing a day if he indeed mm. had 65 days off a year. 
Yeah. Because I think he's going <laughs> to, I don't think, I think he's had to work weekends. <laughs> as, as the appointed exorcist for the Diocese of Rome, he was the chief exorcist of the Vatican. Okay. Um, uh, all right. He was so he ordained. Died, as, so he died in when? Yeah. Like 2016. 2016. So his prime um, era sounds like was 60s and 70s, right? That's like when he's- I imagine. Yeah. Uh, okay, here we go. This is fun. Um, he, in 1990, he founded the International Association of Exorcists and was president until he retired in 2000. He was honorary president for life for the association until his death. So like amongst exorcists, um, then like he, he's your guy, right? He's your yeah. main go-to. So what was his favorite movie, Charlie? The Exorcist. Yep. <laughs> he thought it substantially correct and based on true events. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm reckoning this like he started this club and maybe he was the president board and sole member of this club. <laughs> yeah. Uh, treasurer. Yeah. <laughs> Gabriella Morph. Um, exorcisms. Here we go. In October 2000, it was reported he had performed over 50,000 exorcisms. Which ranged from here we go, a few minutes to several hours in length. So some of them are going okay. for several hours. Yeah, one's one's at least doing telehealth exorcisms. Just open yeah. the phone, mate. Hey, what's your problem? Uh, oh yeah, it sounds like you've got a Beelzebub. Just uh, take two Panadol. <laughs> <laughs> in March 2010, he said that the number had increased to seventy thousand. Oh. By May 2013, he, oh okay, hang on. <laughs> This is this is okay. We're going to play a little game of numbers here, Charlie. Okay. In October two thousand, it was reported he had performed over fifty thousand. Fast forward ten years later, he said that number has increased to seventy thousand. But you got to remember, he's getting towards like the the later years of his life, right? Yeah. By May twenty thirteen, so three years after that, how many exorcisms did he claim that he had performed? Okay. So he went from 50 to 70. Yeah. And then like it's a whole Over decade, 10 years. Decade and then later. Over three more years. Uh, how many more? Another 10,000. Mm, higher. Another 20,000. Higher. Another 30,000. Higher. Another 50,000. Higher. <laughs> Another 100,000. Uh, he claimed that he had performed in total 160,000 exorcisms <laughs> in the course of his ministry. I don't like uh, in wrestling, there is a trope when you want to push, like it could be a heel or a face where you give them an undefeated run, you turn them into a monster. It's kind of like what they did with Goldberg in the WCW is like you just keep racking up the wins and they're called squash matches. He'll come out and he'll just like kill a guy in two minutes. And so it's a great way to build a storyline about this unstoppable force. Mm -hmm. But the way they do it in wrestling is like, so Goldberg, his big gimmick was like, you know, he's been undefeated in like, you know, 60 matches, 70 matches. If you actually look at the timeline, he only wrestled like about 30 matches, but each time they, they would get to a finish, it's like, that's his like 70th one in a row. I think that's what Gabriel was doing in this instance. He would like, do an exorcism and just tag on an extra 10,000 at the back of that. Okay. So you're going to love this. According to Amorth, by the way, before we like started this podcast, Charlie's like, um, I went to Splendor in the Grass, so we'll probably just talk about that and then read some letters. We will do both of those things at some point, but this is, this is amazing. Yeah. So 
According to a moth, each exorcism does not represent a victim of possession. But rather, this is where we get to how many he considers to be exorcisms, but rather each exorcism is counted as a prayer or ritual alone and some possession victims required hundreds of exorcisms. So he's running a little fucking rort here, right? Like where it's like, oh, it looks like I've got to exercise you again. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the when they sell you a printer. Like the printer's cheap, Mm. but the bloody ink cartridges (laughs) and the toner cost you a fortune. you got to get them like every month. Edward Peters, a professor of canon law, finds Amorth's claim to have personally performed 30,000 exorcisms over nine years astounding. (laughs) <laughs> Even accepting Amorth's claim that only 94 of his 30,000 exorcisms represented full-blown possession. So what we're getting closer to the truth here, yeah. Charlie, which is that he's done 94 exorcisms. <laughs> That's basically is the number, I think. Um, that would have required roughly one case a month to be thoroughly examined and, and processed over nine years with hardly a break. Right. So That makes more sense. <clears throat> oh, Ah, this is great too. I love this guy. I'm so into this movie. Amorth believed that a person may be possessed by more than one demon at once. Sometimes numbering in the thousands, Ah. which accounts for the high number of reputed demons exercised. Hang on, wait a minute. But that look, that's a there's a terminology issue here because we hasn't said he's performed he, they didn't say he's exercised over 170,000 uh-huh. demons. They no. said he's performed over 170,000 exorcisms. Yeah. So which but one is it, Gabriel? He's, but he's counting like that's like a, yeah, that was a thousand today. I did a thousand yeah. exorcisms. You had like a thousand demons, so chalk that all up. Blah, 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 blah. Christ I know I quoted you for 34 demons, but like I, well, once I got in there, I found like a thousand. So anyway. <laughs> you got sorry. a whole nest in there. You got a nest <laughs> <Yeah>. of demons. <laughs> um, all right. And uh, let me see if there's anything else here. So what's the, what's the tact of the film, you reckon? Because I think what we've uncovered is actually the more interesting story about the bullshit artist priest. Yeah. You feel like they're not going that direction, do you? You feel like they're going to go like the whole, he's this holy crusader. I mean, I imagine, but it's hard to know, isn't it? Like, well, but Russell, yeah, I think if, I think if Russell Crowe is like being shown around the Vatican, you can't imagine that they think that this movie's going to be. Um, but don't you think that, don't you think this is, that they're holding themselves up for, like instant kind of scrutiny and ridicule by if they do, end- I mean, they're obviously endorsing it. They're letting them shoot at the Vatican. Mm. This people are going to like just look at the Wikipedia page, like we have and go, wait a minute, this guy was like a bullshit artist. Like, mm. why have you given this your stamp of approval? We're we're the original debunkers. We've yeah. pre-bunked this. <laughs> we pre-bunked. We are the Neil deGrasse Tyson of this movie. Well, actually, you know, he only actually did ninety four real exorcisms, and he. <laughs> well, I wonder too, like. Because there was another possession film uh, with another Australian. Uh, Eric Banner did one. I think it was mm. called Hear No Evil or See No Evil or Be No Evil, Evil Can Evil. Smell No Evil. <laughs> I Dream of Evil. Uh, I don't know what it was. But it was one of these things Evil where, Angels. No. <laughs> it was he, He's a cop who's investigating mm. bizarre murders and it turns out that the killer's actually possessed by the devil or some shit like that. I right. think that was the plot anyway. But it sort of tread this line between – 
he's just like he's a skeptic he doesn't believe in any of this stuff but you know is it real or is he imagining it and you know i think in the end of the yeah, the, the demons are real that if they do that where it's like what i want to find what i want this movie to be about and it probably won't be is yeah you got russell crowe outperforming his 10,000 exorcisms a day but then you've got like edward norton or someone who's like <laughs> checking the books he's like hang on <laughs> It's not, guys, it's not making any sense. Guys running up a lot of exorcisms. <laughs> a lot he's of running exorcisms. like an exorcism Ponzi scheme. That's basically yeah. what it is, right? He's like yeah. cooking the books when it comes to exorcisms. Because I guess back in the day for the Catholic Church, it was good PR to have a dude like you've yeah. got like the you've got the you know uh, you know the the Michael Jordan of exorcisms out there, just like yeah. you know slam dunking demons left, right, and center. You'd want that, but in, you know, post kind of like, well, I guess after the internet, like that shit don't fly no more. You know, you can't scare people with your, your ghost stories like you used to. Well, I think you still can is the actual truth. I think that the ghost stories just have different ghosts, but I think people are still constantly scared by ghost stories. Do you think so? I was talking when um, I had Ben McClay on Fofop, we were, we have a shared love of kind of vintage supernatural books that we get from secondhand bookstores and stuff. And we're sort of talking about, you know, when you're a kid and you go to the library and get those books out, it was the most exciting thing because you're like, fuck, like, is there a Loch Ness monster? Is there a Bigfoot and stuff? And then the whole shame of the internet is like, no, there's not. <laughs> like we've mm. we've put like sonar into Loch Ness. There's absolutely nothing down there and all the mystery has been taken away. But at the same time, like ghost hunter shows – like there's like a, a hundred of them. It's it's super popular, and you can go online and you can order ghost hunting stuff. But I was sort of saying to him, yeah, but I think there's a difference. I think people are aware that it's not real. They just like the fun of it. Like it's kind. I of- don't think that's. So do you think percentage wise, there'd be the same amount of people who are believing it as there was like thirty years ago? Yes. I do actually. Like, I mean, maybe not in the same language or maybe not even the same strict definition, but yeah, I do believe that like there's plenty of people who still believe in ghosts and spirits and like, you know, a lot of modern wellness is based around like versions of those stories, right? It might not be, oh, boo, there's your Casper, the you know child ghost sort of thing, but it is that you have some sort of spirit animal inside you or that you, that, you know, mother nature or whatever is, you know, yeah the ghost you know that is in this that you could communicate with or like you know you you go on an ayahuasca ceremony and you communicate with like you know sort of visions of you know otherworldly creatures like that's still the same stuff that's still believing in ghosts it's just ghosts in different modern packaging right yeah i guess you're right i mean you're talking specifically about ghosts i guess i was thinking more of like all the you know, unexplained mysteries those books used to get from the library where it's like, you know, Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and stuff. Maybe I mean, we- but most mysteries are still, like, unexplained. We're just ruling out things that there aren't, aren't we? Like, I mean, there's still so many mysteries about the universe, about what might be there or what it might involve. And, like, I mm. mean, have you ever seen a documentary about the ocean, anything that's under the ocean? Like, it's – Better than any science fiction movie that you've ever seen in your entire life. And that's just shit that we haven't bothered putting our head under the water to have a look at. Like, there's still plenty of mysteries. Like, the funny thing is that we kind of need to go back to these same disproved trope mysteries. Like, the ones that we can actually say this isn't true rather than going, well, isn't there a myriad of – there is hundreds of creatures under the ocean that are equally – 
as interesting as the Loch Ness Monster, which we know does not exist. I don't think they are as equally as interesting as the Why? Loch Ness Monster because they're not like big, like prehistoric dinosaur type things. They're there like is a lot of eyeless, prehistoric dinosaur eyeless, type things under there though. Eyeless squids and stuff like that, you know, and weird glowing animals. But they're yeah. not like, they don't have the kind of oomph of like this giant dinosaur looking Well, thing. they have one thing over it in that they exist and it does not. <laughs> so that would be the major selling point I would be leaning into. What about Bigfoot though? Like, yeah, you know, what there about are, Bigfoot? There are, well, you know, there's <laughs> what like, about Bigfoot? He says, what do you even mean by that question? What about well, Bigfoot? You're saying like that we yeah. don't, we, we haven't explored or we don't know anything. Well, there's so much in the in the deepest ocean, yeah. but there's still like dense, dense forest and woodland yeah. areas that people ca- that are inaccessible. They're, you don't think there could be like a little. Like a little, like a big, a big, a big footed man. <laughs> are we talking about <laughs> now? When you talk about Bigfoot, are we talking about a a nation, like a tribe of big footed people, or are we talking well, what, about what, one what, one person that is this mysterious Bigfoot? Oh, no, I know. I think there could be like just like an. Uh, I look. I don't believe this, but mm. is it possible in the realm of like you know if I don't know who you'd talk to, like a zoologist or something? Yeah. Is it possible? That there could be some undiscovered, let's say, primate, for the lack of a more accurate term, that you know lives in the woods, uh, 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 avoids human contact at all. You know, like gorillas do. That gorillas just they don't they they try and stay hidden and stuff. But that could there be some kind of undiscovered primate that has contributed to the myth of what a Bigfoot is. I'm not saying it's necessarily what you know people have talked about or drawn or claimed to have seen in over years and years, but I mean, it is possible, right, that there could be a new species of of primate? (laughs) Well, you use gorillas as the example, and here's what I would then say. You know what you can see at zoos and all over the place? Gorillas. Like, regardless of how reticent to be out in the outside world gorillas are, we found gorillas, right? Um, Are there tribes of people that haven't really had, like, contact with the rest of humanity? Those things do exist, right? But we still... Mm -hmm. We tend to know they exist. Like we might leave them alone, but we tend to know that they exist. I don't think that there is much. It would be extremely unlikely because for this thing to hide so effectively, to have not been seen, you know, it would need to have the instincts that the rest of the world was not for it. So then why Mm. do you occasionally get a a sighting of it? What's, What's going on there? Well, I guess in this era of cameras being everywhere and, you know, when it comes to UFOs, like they've been releasing all those documents, which is like, yeah, look, we see UFOs all the time, not necessarily, not saying necessarily they're like interstellar crafts. Absolutely not saying that. (laughs) Pretty much ruling that out based on most of the evidence we have. Well, they don't know what it is. That's why it's unidentified. But even with the amount of kind of coverage they have on that, they still, there's nothing conclusive. There's, there's, There's no smoking ship <laughs> no so you're right like that you think there would be something that it gave us like there's an unidentified primate mm-hmm. <laughs> a up up i don't know primate upt unidentified right. primate thing right. oh yeah good yeah no the upt <laughs> we have eyes on the upt <laughs> we would have seen something or at least yeah. a footprint or droppings mm-hmm. or something like that right right so no Bigfoot, no Loch Ness Monster. What about Get your head in the ocean, have a look around. 
There are like either the Chinese are developing like super advanced flying machines and stuff because I've seen those grainy black and white videos that mm. thing zips around and we have no idea what it is and the pilot's freaking out. You've seen those. Yeah. I've seen a lot of like I thanks to everybody who sent me all the super advanced killing robots oh, yeah. uh, this week, by good? the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. What that is that is the 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 dog from Black Mirror, that one that's hunting that yeah. that that guy down. Like it's I mean, it was a matter of time, right? Let's just put a gun on the back of one of these things. Well, I think pretty bad. It's a pretty this bad podcast shot. more than any others has been saying it's only a matter of time until they turn this into a weapon, and it turns out absolutely that time has arrived. <laughs> but it was like the every science fiction film has taught us, like you know, from RoboCop to Terminator, they have this incredible targeting system. It's almost flawless. Like that's this dog was a fucking terrible shot. <laughs> like yeah. he couldn't couldn't stabilize. Was trying hard to get the gun in the right position. I'm not sure that's better. <laughs> I feel like that's actually So worse. you're going to be injured. It's, it's just going to be more deadly, shooting right? off limbs. <laughs> yeah, at least you want it to be quick. You want it to be an efficient killer, not a clumsy now, killer. Now, I wanted to actually talk to you about Splendor in the Grass, and I'm okay. you know, aware that we have like limitations on our time today. So you went – so it's Sunday when we're recording this, Sunday yeah, lunchtime. So I went to day uh, two Saturday. Yeah, well, so day one was cancelled. For people cancelled. that don't know what Splendor in the Grass is, it's a music festival that happens – in the Byron Bay region, and it has not happened for the last couple of years, mostly to do with COVID, um, and that area has obviously been hugely affected by, you know, the floods and all the damage that's been up there. And it eventually was going to happen. Uh, I had tickets to go, but uh, as COVID is once more ripping through the community, and I have other work commitments, I did not really feel, Charlie, that <laughs> it would be the safest of all environments, you know, for me to. Like, you know, try my luck. And then, of course, it rained and rained and rained to the point where they had to cancel the first day. Yeah. I mean, look, I I, I feel uh, conflicted about this because this area has had the shit kicked out of it the shit. this year. And uh, this was like a glimmer of hope, you know, a, yep. a, a just something that we could all look forward to, the community could get behind, is going to bring in some big tourism bucks and all that kind of stuff. And then... Clearly what's happened is there's been months and months and months and months of rain and it is essentially in a floodplain. And so there's obviously water in the ground and the organisers thought, well, look, the weather's been pretty good mm-hmm. in the last couple of months. As long as it doesn't rain before the festival, we should be okay. Mm-hmm. And either either side of the festival, like the week leading up and what the forecast is for next week, beautiful weather. It mm-hmm. just so happens that three days out from the festival, it rained pretty fucking hard and uh, man, it was it was pretty heartbreaking to be honest. Like, it just can't take a trick. Like, just can't yeah. take a trick. And you know, like, I understand that people were disappointed, you know, and that they'd book tickets and plan and stuff. But you know, it's fucking nobody's fault. And you taking it out on the staff and the organisers and the bus drivers and stuff is not helping. And you know, like, I just there was. I felt like there was – I was hoping there'd be a generosity of spirit and an idea of what this region has been through when people yeah, from like Sydney and Melbourne Yeah, like a bit of a Woodstock arrived. about it, right? Yeah. It's like we're here and it's all falling apart and this is terrible, but we're all going to be we're gonna in this make together. We're going to make the best of it. We yeah. are going to – this I, is actually going to be a memory for a lifetime because of the horrible circumstances we find ourselves in. Yeah, and I've got to say that there was a bit of that spirit at mm. the festival – 
But there was an awful lot of bitching and moaning going along as if like it was not common knowledge that this is what you're getting into. And I, and I'm not saying that I wasn't, I was also bitching and moaning because (laughs) like for people who've never been to Splendor, it's one of the best like festivals to go to just because of the, where it's set. It's like, there's like a natural amphitheater, Mm -hmm. rolling green hills. When the weather's great, it's just a fantastic festival just to wander. Walk, yeah, to just, walk around. Just, just walk just around and just yeah. sit down. There's so many places to sit and there's great It's got all points. these like side events like that are like, yeah. it's got comedy tents, but it's got like people making speeches and talking about human rights and current affairs and like it's actually, and there's like market stores and like it's all these- It's family friendly during yeah. the day. There's kids getting carted around. There's a real good vibe there. Uh, and yeah, so- if that's what it's like normally, this was the Stranger Things upside down place. Like it was just, there was not a blade of grass to be seen. Yes, it was Splendor in the Mud. Ha ha ha, hilarious. But <laughs> there were parts of it that resembled like the trenches of World War One. Like my mate um, was chaperoning his daughter and her friends. And um, some of these girls had just, you know, they were coming down from the city and, you know, they just weren't oh. prepared and- <laughs> They were walking around in like. I didn't think your sentence was going to end from the city. I thought you were about to say, and these girls, they were coming down hard. And I'm like, <laughs> this is, I'm not sure you should be sharing this story. Well, I mean, that's the other thing too, because like a lot of these kids, it's their first festival experience, you know, and they had their festival outfit planned yeah. and stuff. And they were just like, hell or high water, I'm going to put this thing together. Well, it turned and out high water there. and hell were both there. <laughs> yeah, it turns <laughs> you out were they were right. both there. I mean, I just don't know that, you know, for the price you pay for a ticket, you want to go home with trench foot. Like, I think no. we should have advanced beyond, like, catching diseases that our Oh, so trench foot still played? Good yeah, trench oh, they are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, the actual good, like, glass animals were amazing. Mm-hmm. I actually thought, like, that they probably stole the show. They were second before the Strokes. Strokes are fine. I'm not the hugest Strokes fan. I also, Mandela, the Strokes are like Mandela effect for me because I don't know if I've seen, I've seen the Strokes once or a hundred times No, <laughs> because yeah. I saw them like, I feel I've got the strangest feeling of deja vu and if I don't know if it's deja vu to one occasion or many occasions. I feel well, like Well, yeah, I've seen, I've seen the Strokes many times and I, I very much enjoy the Strokes. But what I will say is if the, you said to me, differentiate those gigs, a lot of them would be hard to differentiate from yeah. each other. They have a pretty uniform experience. Like you, you went to the big day out when Metallica were out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they definitely played that year. I remember you probably saw them that year. Um, I saw them the first time they ever came to Australia, the Strokes. They were right. supporting UMI at the uh, the um, new uh, – like it was the – in Newtown at the RSL or something like that. And I still remember it was back when you could smoke inside still. And mm. Julian Casablancas goes over to the side of the stage, just throws his arm out, and then it comes back with a lit cigarette. And he just like <laughs> kept singing and smoking. And I was like, Yeah, all right. I can see what the fuss is about. <laughs> uh, yeah. He said he, he didn't seem in a good place, Julian. I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll say that. Like he seemed a bit tired and emotional on stage. I mean, he was doing the performance was like, you know, pretty flawless but it was the banter in between that you're like you know sometimes it's just like oh maybe someone should be just like maybe yeah. the band should just start playing get, get the next yeah. song well that's the other thing about the stroke songs is like they kind of all sound the same to me i'm not yeah. i couldn't i know there's like last night and there's mm. another one but they all it's all that ding a ding a ding a ding a ding yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all start like ding a ding a ding a ding well they, that's but, true they all do kind of start the same and i think that that 
is what the rest of the band should do when Julian's like getting into it and should just yeah. be like, just play, anyway, just play him off. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't look, I, I hate to uh, uh, slam any artist world, but a few weeks ago, I think on our other podcast, Two Guys One Cup, um, uh, one of our favorite uh, footballers, Charles Cameron, was saying Jack Harlow overrated. Oh, yeah. And I asked you, who's Jack Harlow? I don't know who Jack Harlow is. So you told me, like, he's this new up and coming rapper. Um, fair to say, I agree with Charles Cameron. <laughs> was Jack like, Harlow at Splendor in the Grass? Yes. Oh, and okay. it was not good. It, he seemed out of his depth. I don't know what kind if he's played big festivals before or whatever, but he the in the first fifteen minutes he played like two songs, and then the rest of it was OH and S messages. What? Like just a lot of kind of talking to people. If you're in trouble, just give me a thumbs up, and, and it's just and. He did not hit the stage with any energy because, look, I, I didn't st- stay around long enough to find out if it got any more energetic, but it was all really just kind of like ambient kind of beats that he was just kind of rapping over. And I was like, I'm I'm bored. <laughs> like I am bored within the first five minutes. And then it took me 10 minutes to leave where I was watching from to get out of the amphitheater. And in that 10 minutes, I just heard him talking and giving OH&S messages to people about, now this is how – you know, if you signal if you're in trouble and the exits are located over here. And and there's a thing about American artists too. I don't know if you've noticed this. Like I think some of that American banter flies in America, mm. but here we're just like arms folded. No, shut yeah, up. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, what no one rocks I? like Splendor. You know? yeah, oh, like, yeah. All right. like he was doing a lot of question and answer stuff too. Like, right. you all know where I'm from? It's like, no. Uh, not really. You know, and it's like, and then we're just at America, a festival, like, man. Where are you from? Yeah, you know, but not. I'm not saying from the United States. I'm from Kentucky. You know where Kentucky's fucking not, not get really. to the song? The chicken? Is it about the chicken? <laughs> we don't really know, man. Yeah, know there, why so many questions, dude? We didn't know there'd be so many questions. But I also think with hip hop too, yeah. like it's a really hard sell at a festival unless you are like super charismatic, like a yeah. Snoop Dogg. He can just get on stage with his hype man, and you'll you'll be glued. That's that he's amazing. He's just so good. Just prowls the stage, and you know he does like ambient kind of beats, but he's just such a yeah. cool cat. You're like this. Well, ironically, he's a cool dog. <laughs> you go with it, or you got to do what you know the Hilltop Hoods have done or Eminem and come with a band and do the songs live and have the force of the music because it just like it actually fills the amphitheater. He was just on stage basically just it was almost like spoken word. They would just play like a, a beat and it was just him and he would just walk around and do his raps and then give a public health and safety message for five minutes and then get to another rap. It was just like my that's what my mate Ben I was standing with. He said Wow, he looks like he's never done this before. It's almost like <laughs> he won it? a competition. He won a, a competition. It wasn't Jack Harlow. Has Jack Harlow? <laughs> well, I, to, to be come? honest, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Could have been is any chance, white American guy. Is there a chance that you actually did not see Jack Harlow? You saw <laughs> the guy who was meant to be doing the occupational health and safety messages, <laughs> and Jack had, had it turned up. And the reason he was asking the crowd so many questions was. He wanted to know about Jack Harlow so that he could incorporate it into the raps. He's like, where am I from? No, seriously, I don't know. Kentucky? Okay, cool. <laughs> well, there was a little preamble that he played before he came on where it was like a, a voice of the guy saying like, Jack Harlow wants everyone to have a good time, okay. but a safe time. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, shut up. that's a good message. And then that safety <sighs> message continued right through. It was the weirdest, the weirdest decision. So, yeah. But look, I had a good time. I had a good time. 
it was. But muddy, did you have but, a safe time? Uh, well, no. Well, I gave Jack the thumbs up, <laughs> and then. <laughs> Like Joaquin Phoenix and Gladiator, I gave him the big fucking thumbs down. <laughs> well, let's get to some mail because we've got to get out of here quick. We're doing a shorter episode today. But uh, we are also doing a bonus episode that uh, is on our Patreon. So once you finish listening to this, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you should go to patreon.com slash tofop and you can hear a bonus episode and then check out a bunch of other great content while you're there. Um, this is from Andrew. He says, hey, Charlie and Will, I started listening to you guys about a year ago. And I've recently gone back to the beginning of TOEFOP after wanting to know the origin of many of the jokes and stories. It's the 30th of June, 2022 now, and I just saw the film Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I thought it was a pretty fun exploration of the multiverse. Sappy ending, but I like the themes of mindfulness and kindness, and it's left me with some serious bagel cravings. I would love to know your thoughts on it, um, and I'm not sure when I'll catch up, but sending future me and future Will and Charlie some good vibes. Andy. Thanks, Andy. I uh, haven't seen it. Have you seen it? No. And the reason that I haven't seen it is I've had a lot on um, and I've only really been able to consume media that I don't have to concentrate on, that I can be doing something yeah. else at the same time. I've heard, I've heard very good things. I've heard nothing like but good things uh, yeah. from people that I trust. So I'm saving it for when I actually have an opportunity to sit down and watch it. Uh, this is from Aaron. Uh, hey, Will and Charlie, been a long-time listener, never expected to write in, but feel compelled when, to my surprise, Charlie on Ep 387 described the little beach town between Sydney and Byron with a rock and roll-themed hotel and cafe, realising that that's the beach town right near me. Charlie, you couldn't remember the name of the place. It's called Flow Bar, and the accommodation section is the Boogie Woogie Beach House in Old Bar. It's a great little venue, especially for musicians touring the country, looking for a stopover between Sydney and Byron. Well, let's hope that fucking Jack Harlow stops there and gets a little bit of boogie-woogie into his system. <laughs> gets inspired by all the rock and roll pictures on the Look, wall. Guys, I'm definitely up for some boogie-woogie, but I just want it to be safe. So <laughs> yeah. just be careful about your boogie and your woogie. And your Remember woogie. where I'm from. Where am I from? Uh, oh, God, shut up, Jack. Uh, this is from Polina. Hi, Will and Charlie. Uh, surely you know that you have listeners from all over the world. Yes, we are aware of that. I'm originally from Moscow. Moscow, 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 Moscow. Moscow, Moscow, I don't know. I'm originally from Moscow, but living in Dubai for over 10 years now. Wow. Your podcast has been the best. Should I be doing this in a Russian accent? No, I think that would be offensive. Dear right? Charlie, <laughs> you know, surely you know that you have listeners from all over the world. Well, I am originally from Moscow. But I live in Dubai for 10 years now. <laughs> this is my John Malkovich and Rounders. So I'm not being racist. What I'm actually doing impersonation of yeah. is John Malkovich and Rounders. Yeah. Your podcast has been the best discovery for me. And I have recommended it to many of my friends. I drive each day on a different Emirate for work. That's approximately 40 to 50 minute drive. And the two of you are simply making my money. So now I'm going oh into God, like I'm doing Russell Crowe drink on the fruit. <laughs> this is very much Charlie KGB. <laughs> Wait, I, yeah, I have to get back into it. You do not yeah. have my money. I kill you. One of the listeners mentioned that at the first he thought Charlie was a douche. <laughs> Just to let you know, I thought so too. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I, this, this episode is not going to change your mind. <laughs> but of course, I have changed my mind. Uh, if you ever feel like escaping the floods, you're always welcome in our desert. Any plans to do a show in the United Arab Emirates? Uh, no, if I, I think Will would be arrested. <laughs> they would just like take a sample of his hair and lock him up for the next 30 years. Yeah, there's a few lifestyle choices that I make that I don't think are welcome in those parts of the world. 
one last one before we go. This is from uh, Glenn. Hey, guys. I love the recent episode discuss- discussing Humpty Dumpty and famous writers of Hay. Uh, and you mentioned Jasper, F- F- Jasper Ford with the double Fs mm-hmm. and Jay from Five. Jasper has a novel called The Big Over Easy, which might be a source for a gritty reboot. Mm-hmm. From the blurb, it's Easter in reading. It's a bad time for eggs. No one can remember the last sunny day. Over D-class nursery celebrity Humpty Dumpty, uh, a minor baronet and ex-convict and former millionaire philanthropist, is found shattered to death beneath the wall of a shabby area of town. All the evidence points to his ex-wife, who's conveniently shot herself. <laughs> so if you want, really, is it? <laughs> if you want a hard-boiled novel about uh, uh, Humpty Dumpty, just before, I mean, that's a bit of. Weird synchronicity, isn't it? That we do a whole episode about Hay on Time or whatever that place was called in Wales, and then one of the writers from there has written a book about Humpty Dumpty. That that's fucking weird. Yeah, it feels like our universes are converging in some <laughs> way that really disturbs me. I mean, I haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, but maybe that's maybe what it feels like. Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That film we haven't seen. Uh, that is Tofop for this week. Thank you uh, very much for supporting us. Uh, if you can't afford to uh, donate to our Patreon, you can just give us a like or a review or something online, or just tell someone to come listen to the show because mm. that all helps us. Uh, Will, you got shows to promote? Oh, I do. So uh, this week in Sydney, if you're listening to this on the day that comes out tonight, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sydney's final chance to see Will Logical. Friday sold out, Thursday's about to go. So Wednesday night will probably be the only one that's available by the time that you hear this. But the big one that I want to give a plug to is Sunday, August the 7th, the final time that I'm ever doing Will Logical. It is at the Athenaeum Theatre in Melbourne. Um, it's about half sold out already, but like I'd love to sell the whole thing out and I am aware it is a Sunday night. So if you haven't seen the show or if you'd like to come and see it again, we have just added a support act, Justin Hamilton, who is making his return to stand-up comedy. He's going to even do a solo show, which is exciting. He is also the guest on Fofop this week talking about all that. But yeah, I'd love to see it at the ass. August the 7th, the final time I'll be doing Woological. And when Will says it's the last time he's ever doing it, he's literally having that part of his brain erased like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. He's just oh, never going to be able to remember to do it. What a great joy that would be. <laughs> if you could just erase parts of your mind. Yeah. Oh, man. Yes. But I mean, just like the shows. Like, I mean, oh, I actually yeah. kind of do it with Gruen, I find, because like each week, if we're doing like real estate as a topic or whatever, I have to actually in that week become a bit of an expert in the universe of real estate so I can understand the conversations. But then by the next week when we've talked about whatever it is we talk about the next week, I cannot remember any <laughs> of the things that I learned about real estate the week before. So there may be somebody at the Gruen office that when I come in isn't doing a temperature test. They're just men in blacking me at the start of each working <laughs> week and going, we're just going to find a hole to fill it up. <laughs> a glory hole. A, a I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> a glory hole. <laughs> I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is a TOEFOP production. Head to TOEFOP.com for more. Cool things for cool people.